Hey everybody, and welcome to the Everything Went Black podcast. It's been a long break, just got back from tour. Now I'm getting ready to get back into it with you guys and start knocking out more of these episodes. For today's episode, we have my old friend, Zeb Deans, video producer, creative guy, and all around good dude. Uh, over the years, he and I have become friends, and if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, he's been on several times at this point. A uh, guy that I respect fully, um, one of the most interesting and unique uh, video producers, for music videos at least, um, that I've experienced. Someday I hope to see a feature-length film from him, and um, we talk a little bit about that, some plans and aspirations to do just that. Before we get started, I just want to shout out on it, our affiliate sponsor. If you're into fitness and healthy eating, please check out on its products. You can get there from going to Everything Went Black Media. If you scroll down, you'll see some uh, portals, which will take you to uh, two different branches of the site. One is the exercise equipment, and the other is uh, like supplementation and foods. And feel free, everything on that site. I either have tried, currently used, or fully endorse. It's something that I would use, and I urge you all, if you're you know, interested and passionate about staying in shape and uh, fitness, to, uh, to check out their products. Also, we have Savage Gold Coffee. If you're a coffee fanatic like I am, um, check out Savage Gold Coffee. It's my coffee brand. Head over to savagegoldcoffee.com. And uh, right now, things are a little bit out of stock. I just did a Black Friday sale, and um, should be getting more stuff in in the next uh, several days. So be patient. Um, in the interim, you can order on Amazon. So if you go to Amazon, there's uh, Savage Gold Coffee available. You know, and you guys can, you know, either subscribe and get your fill every month, or you can make a one-time order. If you want to uh, support the podcast, check out our efforts with Patreon. I'd like to thank everyone who has uh, donated. For as little as $1 a month, you can be a patron of this podcast, and every little bit helps. I really appreciate the people that have joined, and um, I continue to, uh, to offer free stuff such as uh, rare tombs material, uh, covers, and uh, you know stuff like that. And, um, you know, that stuff will continue. And um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, check it out. You can go there either by going to our Facebook page or going to everythingwentblackmedia.com and you'll see a pop-up, which will take you to Patreon. If you uh, also want to support the podcast without donating any money, just tell a friend. Say, hey, I listen to this rad podcast. I talk about a bunch of different cool stuff. If you want something to help you get you through the day, subscribe. And um, so there you go. That helps out quite a bit. For subscriptions, you can go to iTunes. You can check us out streaming on Mixcloud. You can also just go directly to everythingwentblackmedia.com, and there's a streaming player there too. If you want to follow me on Twitter, at MikeHillHQ. If you want to check me out on Instagram, Mike underscore Hill underscore Primate. And it's uh, pretty much just... A variety of different interests that I have, a lot of tour stuff, a lot of stuff about training, and just uh, overall maybe some cat pictures here and there. So without further ado, let's get into the episode.
Next question. <laughs> um, yeah, basically, uh, been in New York for 12 years and um, ready to move to Detroit probably in March. Oh, okay, so it's a little ways off then. It's okay. a little ways off. I have a little time to change my mind. But uh, basically, you know, this is the same old New York story. Just uh, rent, is, rent is intense here, and uh, it's, I do have a space where I can do what I want, need to do, but I so rarely use it that way, I feel like. It's just it's the kind of thing where if I had a place like... The kind of spaces you can get in Detroit, there's a lot of room to work, and there's a lot of, um, yeah, they can go on and on about Yeah, but, but, but also, like, uh, Detroit, like, I've been there... In the most in the recent years, Detroit has really taken like this upswing as far as like creative people and like it's almost like the Berlin of the United States in some ways. Yes. You know, like where that sort of eastern part of Berlin is just used to be bombed out and decrepit and now it's like now it's the it's the flowers are growing in the rubble and yeah. people are you know, it's covered in murals and there's all kinds of art spaces popping up and yeah. and I think the major issue there currently is how to there's there is tension between between the, the people who've been in Detroit all their lives and who are struggling, right. um, mostly most of whom are black, and um, the people who are now moving into Detroit, who most of whom are white, and like they can afford to develop certain parts of it, and so now certain parts of it are actually getting almost expensive to live in, right. and um, becoming very bougie, and there's, there seems to be, it's still kind of like in in dis, like discreetly segregated, I guess, just in terms of like there's the art community, the gentrified art community, and then there's the there's the Black Detroit community, yeah. and um, so that's sort of on my mind when I'm moving there is to like not just stay in the safe zone and inter- not interact with like what made Detroit what it was for so many decades. So that's the definitely an interesting aspect of it. But yeah, it, as far as the arts go, I mean it's exploding. Yeah, for and sure. I think after the initial for film specifically, you know, there was this whole push. I think in like the mid mid to late 2000s um, around 2005 through like 2008 where um, all you know fi- the film world found out about it because the film world is migratory mm-hmm. um, despite Hollywood and New York the film world is always looking for the next cheap place to shoot with incentives for taxes and stuff like that and then they'll go to New Zealand they'll go to Australia then they'll go they'll just go all over the place um, Albuquerque is a big spot now um, but um Detroit was going to be the next big spot, and then they got a Republican governor, and he got rid of all the tax incentives, so they stopped short, basically. Like, overnight, production just stopped. So it's been, it's still been the perfect place to do it. Uh, It's just no one's been doing it, except for a couple, like Jim Jarmusch, and like some directors do go there, independent directors, and make great use of it. Um, And so the last two videos I did, the big videos I did, I shot there. Um, and it was just, I could see it. I could see, like, this is a fucking filmmaker's paradise. So the Cannibal Corpse video was shot there. Cannibal Corpse video was shot there. The Ghosts He Is video was shot there. We got a church for two days for $250. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, man. See, that's the thing, man. It's like, you, you, know, you, could, you probably couldn't even afford to do that here. No, no. I mean, we're talking, like, especially a real church that's an operation. Yeah. Oh, hey, we want to shoot, like, a satanic music video in your church. Is that cool? Like, no, that wouldn't really fly. But in Detroit, there's a bunch of abandoned ones, and some of them have been bought and are owned by people, people who don't give a shit what you do. Now, I don't know, maybe I'm hallucinating this, or I'm not remembering this the right way, but if I remember correctly, the church had this sort of, like, Russian, um, the cross wasn't like a Roman Catholic cross. Oh, wow. 
I didn't even notice that. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. It I, seems, I'm remembering it I got, that way. I've got like a Protestant vibe from it, I think. Okay. Yeah, I don't think it was a Catholic church. Yeah, all right. Um, that would have been appropriate, considering ghosts and the Pope and all that. Yeah. But um, we were looking for whatever we could get. Okay. And this place was the perfect sort of mixture of, it was abandoned, so it wasn't going to be expensive, and we we're going to have to deal with actual religious people. And it was... It was just cheap as hell and looked, still looked great inside it didn't look dilapidated or abandoned all, we dressed it up with a lot of lighting and flowers and shit and then like it it worked you know yeah it looked, um, uh, looked great yeah yeah it's funny because I remember like maybe 10 years ago I played played a show out in Detroit and it was like one of these like weird routing dates between tours where it's like you're on this bigger tour and then the band takes like a day off or they or they have some engagement somewhere so there's no show yeah. So then we're we're stuck with like a Monday night free. So we got booked at um at some venue, some small venue in, in Detroit like ten years ago and mm-hmm. I remember played the date, pretty cool show, and uh we you know, we Google we booked a hotel, so I'm like GPSing a route to the hotel <laughs> and we're driving through like <laughs> fucking streets that it was like road warrior yeah it was like some post apocalyptic when you first see it, it it is it is un, it's something to behold I mean, it's intense you are right? in a movie yeah and and it's in you know there's all there's the whole like it's there's every other build every other now still the every other house is boarded up yeah and it's and you know like I'll, I'll, I have friends who who just you know they've gotten a house there and they're just surrounded by either empty lots or like broken down houses with like you know um, all manner of squatters and stuff and it's just chill like there's all this this it is true that you got to watch your you know it's there's an element of danger for sure, sure. yeah but I think that um, it gets stigmatized for that. To the point where no one even wants to go. Like they, people are afraid of getting off an exit on the highway to go to Detroit. Where in fact, my experience going there, and I've been there more than just the two times. Sure. Yeah. Um, was very much like the second you engage with people, you are welcomed with open arms, and there's a warmth to the situation where I don't know. It's like they. I was just watching a um, someone had just interviewed a bunch of North Korean defectors. And uh, about uh, their experience in North Korea, and, and you know they were talking about the most appalling conditions and right. starving. They get these rice rations and stuff, and uh, everything sounds miserable. And then and then the interviewer was like, "So you must be happier now that you're in South Korea?" And they were like, "No, actually, um, I miss being in North Korea. The sense of community there because we had to struggle was such that um, everyone was just a lot more positive. You have to be to stay sane, and so there's a warmth, and then everyone takes care of each other." And that's kind of the vibe in Detroit, too, that I felt when I was there. It's just like it, there is a thriving community of both, you know, young blacks and young whites. And uh, I think that uh, it, it would be great if they could integrate more. Yeah, totally. I mean, and, you know, like I said, in the last time I was in Detroit, it was like, you know, there's all these, it was a complete 180 from that experience of, um, I mean, there's still like a lot of desolation and whatnot in that city, but it seems like they're trying to do some more stuff with the spaces there and it was uh, the church, the the Temple of Satan. <laughs> yeah, they put on the show that we played. Nice. It was like, what's their space like? I have to uh, well, it was at a venue called the L. I think it's like the L Room or the L Club. L Club. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you played at L Club. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, Graham owns that. Yeah. 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 Excellent the guy who used to work. Yeah, you liked the venue. Was I loved it. It was great. Yeah, I was like yeah, shocked. Was awesome. You know, I'd never been there before, and like, you know, we pulled up, and and it was like they had. This beautiful interior space and the green room was nice and there were showers and there was like you know 
it was just like a really professional. It was like kind of like like a St. Vitus vibe in some ways. Like yeah. There's like you know. Yeah. A very deliberate. I wonder if you've met Graham Plugenheimer. He he did. He's really young, and he started out. Yeah, maybe I did. Maybe he put the show on or something. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't, you know. Yeah. He 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 founded the place. Okay. Um, so I probably did meet him. Then. Yeah. And um and he's around and he he start he's very young. He started out being a PR guy for Odd Future. Oh wow. And like okay. Tyler the Creator and all those kids. Yeah. And then. Um, He's, then he started to branch out into like punk, uh, and then he started to work with Sacred Bones a lot. Um, and then finally, he—I guess I didn't even—I hadn't heard about him in a while because I super lost contact with that, yeah. that sect. Um, and then I was talking to someone about L Club because I needed a backyard for something for Camel Corpse, and they were like, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll connect you with Graham." And then I saw his email. I was like, "Oh, it's fucking Graham." <laughs> yeah, so he's there now. Um, and I hear great things about this place. Excellent. It's a great spot. And, like, yeah, I'd like to go back there. It's just that, you know, Detroit is still kind of, like, not on the... It's not, like, on, like, kind of the, the routing of a lot of tours for some yeah. reason. It's more like a B or a C market. Yeah. You know? This last tour we did was mostly C markets. So yeah. I was hoping that we would have hit Detroit, but we didn't. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we came an hour... We played in Toledo, which is an hour from Detroit, which yeah. I think would have been better in Detroit, but... Yes. Whatever, that's... Detroit Rock City, man. That's right. But, um... We just saw that movie out of curiosity. It's a funny movie. By the way, it is funny. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, that whole subgenre of movies is something I, I only seen like, maybe a handful of those. Yeah. Like, yeah, I didn't know. That movie was actually, like, funded by Kiss, like, by the record company. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, I could see Ghost doing something like that. They're looking to make, you know... Kiss. Yeah, like, yeah, Ghost definitely is sort of uh, following in the footsteps of Kiss in terms of, like... The kind of persona they have, the this, the makeup and the and the sort of theatricality of it, and um, definitely have also followed in the footsteps of having this this sizable fan base that is yeah. dedicated, and so I would love to see myself get paid a lot of money to make a movie for them. <laughs> Maybe because Kiss had that film, Kiss yeah. and the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. Oh. Fuck, I didn't see oh, that. Oh, dude, man. That you, must have been a weird moment in, like, movie rock and roll history. Yeah, it was, like, in the 70s. Uh, what? I, I gotta write this down. Right? I think that's a title. Is it funny? Like, it must be hilarious. Uh, yeah, it's like, if it's a, you know, it's it's like a schlocky, you know. I think it's called Kiss and the Phantom of the Opera. Oh, my God. And they made a movie, it made a feature-length film. Oh, my God. I have to see this. And, uh, you know, they, they were all in the movie. Kiss yeah, and the Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. We're literally, like, using the podcast to write this stuff. I know. Right. This is the, the worst in podcasting, but fuck it. <laughs> uh, that sounds great. Yeah. I think that's what it's called. If that's not correct, someone out there correct me and send us a message so I, Zev is, uh, so he can <laughs> seek this movie out. I think if I type in uh, Kiss, Kiss Phantom movie. of the Opera, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll, but, um... Yeah, yeah you, you can see Ghost possibly doing something like that. Absolutely. Like Feature-length film. Yeah, like, I mean, the the fan base is there. Yeah. Absolutely. Just, you know, email your local Loma Vista Records representative. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, um, I think I've said that in every podcast we've done. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, Kiss is a, you know, if you think about it, they sort of even, even in a, maybe a tertiary way have influenced so much of like modern metal really you know yeah. like even like Behemoth oh I mean I mean it looks I mean a both like they it looks look, just like everyone Jesus. looks like kids you yeah. know that the corpse paint is essentially this bizarre child ch- grandchild of kiss yeah and, but no one wants to admit it because black metal's so like harsh you know and like true and no one wants to uh, have any correlation to something silly even though they often come off as very silly but yeah 
I think that no, someone needs to do some kind of like Kiss black metal crossover. I think is the next thing that needs to happen. Well, a lot of those guys freely admit that they love Kiss. You know, oh, that's good. If you yeah. talk to like the guys at Watine and stuff like that, that would have been the age, the right age for that. Yeah, totally. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I like Kiss, but you know, there's there's like a definite. A, a tongue-in-cheek aspect to it for me too. Completely. I mean, that's that's all I you know. That's all. That's the angle I came in on it because I was too young to know about it. And I think like by the time I started getting just like old, like some of the more classic rock stuff, I was uh, I think I was too already too old to like not not be able to enjoy something without taking it completely seriously. Yeah. Like so, it's like into Neurosis and all these very serious bands. Yeah. And. Um, which is ridiculous to say something like that, and then the band's called Neurosis. But yeah, like it's, it's it's definitely one of those things I discovered later from the standpoint of humor. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's it's funny because, like, uh, you know, one of the things you talked about earlier about moving to Detroit, it's like there's almost like this kind of like, do you think, ironically, that or you and I are both fleeing New York? Yes. Because I've also expressed prior to this podcast and between the last <laughs> podcast I did this morning and now... You're breaking I, the story, folks. You and I... Mike is <laughs> leaving the building. You and I spoke briefly about leaving the city. <laughs> and we, but we're both leaving here for primarily because it's expensive and kind of lame now. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, and it's, we're, uh, we're seeking, like, a, a frontier, like a new place. To I find live. it very convenient, actually, because, like, sometimes I'll... I'll for, I'll pass by Bank of America and, and realize I was supposed to go there, and luckily the next block has one, so I can just go to a bank every block, and you know, it's good. It's very convenient. <laughs> but yes. But do you think like a place like Detroit would, you know, turn into turn that? into something like that? Where... I mean, they'd love to see some kind of revenue come in, but yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it would be a long time. Yeah, like maybe people are still afraid to get off the highway. You know what I mean? Like it's it's, and I think that. I am happy with that for now um, because because the, just the, what I can afford there versus here it, it's it's gonna stay like that for a little while right and, yeah. um, I, and I'm definitely like way late in the game there too I mean people have been ex- like there's been a mass exodus of artists and musicians from New York to Detroit in, in like the last 10 years I feel like yeah definitely um, and so I'm definitely way late but um, it's still, compared to here, it's still just mind-blowing what you can get. And also, I think, like, you know, like, you know, New York, you think of, like, hustlers, right? You think of, like, being hustled. You get off the get off the Port Authority and someone's trying to, like, sell you the bridge or something. Yeah. You know? Now, the biggest sale, the biggest hustle <laughs> is that coming to New York, if you're some sort of ham and egger that wants to come here and, you know, Start their career in the arts. Yes, that's the biggest. That's sell. the biggest hustle. That's the biggest hustle because you can't do that anymore. Man. Like you can't come here, get off the bus, you know, with your your rucksack, you know, and find some place to live and like work in a coffee shop and do your like you know art and whatever, or become yeah. an actor or some shit. Yeah, that's a fucking fantasy world now. Yeah, well, it's a fantasy world that rich people are living. Yeah, they come uh, and that, I think that's that, that's who will remain and they will still. Um, and there, there's we all know we know all know people like this and love them we're all friends but um, there are you know the people who are staying in New York you can kind of guess what their situation is and uh, I think that um, I mean there, and then there's people who really hustled and made it for themselves at a time when you could yeah and you still can in some ways um, like if I wanted to just work like if I if I didn't want to be a director and I just wanted to work in film I could hang I could stay here because 
New York's doing shoots for TV all the time. Right. They're doing editing, fashion yep. editing. I mean, there is an industry here that is thriving. Um, I just, that's not what I, you know. so we want to do. Yeah. yeah. And if you're going to do that, it'd be like just taking a job in an office or something like that. Yeah. You know, and it's cool and it's hard work and it's, yeah. and it's, and it's valuable work. And it's the kind of stuff where you, you get to do a lot of cool things and be involved in a lot of cool things and brush elbows, a lot of cool things. But much like I learned when I was trying to get into the art world, when I moved here, uh, there's just not, <clears throat> if you're working in the industry, wherever you are, that's where you're going to you're going to move up, but that's where you're going to stay. You're always going to be a worker and not, that's not how, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing where unlike, uh, it is kind of like art guilds of the, like the Renaissance era, but it's, but it's very much, there are these sort of unspoken keys to the castle that are reserved for the rich basically. And like chance moments of like, you know, yeah, if you like, well, I'm, I'm rambling, but, uh, People get into art handling because they think they can maybe get into a gallery through like a diagonal that way, and it yeah. just doesn't happen. You know? Yeah, actually, I mean, I'm, I've never, I'm not, I'm not an art guy, really. You know what I mean? I, I'm I quit. Barely, <laughs> I quit it. Barely so, a musician, you know. But the um, barely a musician. A former girlfriend of mine. You're touring the world. <laughs> you're doing good. <laughs> a former, former girlfriend of mine went to art school, and um, you know that's one of the things she was trying to do her own thing, but then. You know, she knew people she graduated with that were like got more involved in the business of art like opening galleries and you know curating stuff and then but they stopped doing their art yes you know and that's kind of like from my perspective you know you're doing like you're already doing what you're doing so if you can find some environment to do that in where you don't have to be dealing with struggling. other things struggling then trying water great trying water this is what I've been telling everyone whenever we talk about Detroit it's just like Doing what I do and the climate I do it in, in terms of like an era where everyone downloads music for free off the mm-hmm. internet and no one, no one is buying records anymore, um, unless it's vinyl. Yeah, which, that's is, a niche, which is a niche market. Yeah. Um, there's, there's, yeah. My the budgets I take for the projects that I feel comfortable doing. I'm treading water. I'm, I'm barely surviving here. I'm often late on rent. I'm, I'm it's a nightmare and. Um, so if I stayed here, you know, I've been talking about wanting to do a film for years. This mm-hmm. is why I'm doing this. Like, I love making music videos, but I want to make feature films. That's the, that's the point. And uh, I've been talking about it forever. Um, and I've started writing stuff here and there, but I always get sidetracked because I have to make money. I have to survive. I yeah, have to totally. take jobs I don't want to take that are lower budgets than I necessarily want, but I have to take them. And then I get what I call project debt, where I'm basically swamped in editing work mm-hmm. and I can't afford to hire anyone to take some of the load off for me and I'm just trying to catch up with stuff and I never I'm never my, my slate is never clean right, you know? right. Um, it's, a fa- it's a fetish fantasy for me to have a clean slate like I don't know what that feels like you know so I'm getting out of here because I just can't if I if I kept staying here and doing that I would never make a film I'd keep talking about it forever and I think that's that's finally what this is it's just like that's it I'm fucking putting a stop to this I'm going to take the projects I want to take that I can comfortably take and then I can also take projects from friends that like <laughs> that like you know I won't need this. I won't have as big an overhead so I can actually afford to do other things that I want to do and then I can have fucking room to write a script and like make a feature awesome. and get it off the ground it's that's the thing shooting, in, shooting Cannibal Corpse and Ghost in Detroit I felt it I, I looked around and I was like I can make a fucking film here like I'm the, the Cannibal Corpse I made friends with the cops like they have friends there that 
that can make shit happen and can like help me do actual legit apparatus um, like structural shit with the city you know like they want this kind of thing to happen yeah they're hungry for it that's great and I see it there I see it I see it as a reality as a possibility um, New York I'm just gonna talk about it with my friends drunk at like 5am like, like oh we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and we're gonna make this movie and that movie and it's, we're just gonna keep talking we're not gonna ever be able to stop and just do it so that's that's the the goal. Do you have any uh, like in your you know I'm sure you have one of those uh, what the hell they call those little notebooks those um moleskine multi <laughs> I'm sure it's somewhere in this apartment you have a moleskine <laughs> yeah and you have plot ideas written down yeah so you have you have like what sort of film would you make you, you want to know yeah uh, all right I mean, you know I mean so, yeah, I mean, have so to tell me the whole you, plot so before you put the uh, the podcast out just make sure everyone who listens to it signs an NDA um, <laughs> no um, I've got like a stack of like seventeen ideas okay some of I which mean, you I've don't have to go into detail no I can't no, okay, no, great. You know, yeah. um, all bets are no off no one listens to this it's fine yeah this is like, like me and you I, I listen to it that's it my mom yeah you know. <laughs> and my mom now yeah um, but. Um, yeah, there's like a there's a big stack of ideas. There's some stuff that is based on books. There's there's definitely some Lovecraftian stuff going on there. Um, one thing I wanted to do for a while is called I was going to call it uh, is definitely the kind of a sat an alien satire called Xenotown, which would be okay. about Chinatown because I'm obsessed with New York New York's Chinatown, um, and it was going to kind of be about it was going to be this weird sort of mashup of like a like a like a creature body horror movie. In which this creature is actually biological warfare that has been <laughs> that has been introduced to Chinatown's um, bodegas via the FBI or something like that, where like they're trying to um, get a hold of the real estate in Chinatown, so they're trying to basically okay. like close up and condemn all of these dumpling shops. <laughs> but um, that's like one idea. Uh, there's many. Um, there's one I'm kind of developing now, which is kind of like a Full Metal Jacket fan of the Opera crossover, where like um, a guy, there's this. I don't know how much I should go into it, but um, yeah, basically, okay. basically a guy gets disfigured in the Iraq War, the most recent one. Um, this this like young young guy. I kind of want to. I think it was kind of inspired by the whole the rise of Trump and, and the yeah, election, okay. yeah. where I felt like looking at the left and the right and and the way they spoke about each other and how surprised the left was about about this the existence of this certain section of the right, I think, I think, aside from the fact, that, not that I would ever want to um, normalize Nazis or anything, this isn't about Nazis or the alt-right, this is about just small-town America having a certain type of access to information, that, and then, you know, and then big-city America having, like, you know, all these sources of information and, and knowing a lot more about the international scene. Um, we don't understand them, and they don't understand us, and there's this tension. And, sure. and they feel intimidated and offended by the intellectualism of, of like sort of the left yeah, sort of liberal media. yeah and I think that um, instead of us discarding them we should actually just look at it like hey we were you were born one place this person was born somewhere else you guys have different world views so this movie was that's a long that's a very long tangent to what the movie's about the movie is, follows this small town American guy who just wants to be a hero and like fight the good fight and he's been convinced by all the media around him that that means going to war right and do, and he's a good guy and all of us all his friends are good guys you identify with them you follow them to war 
and he learns that war is not so simple, it's not so black and white, it's a gray zone, who's good and who's bad, it's all fucked. Like the school, you know, they accidentally bomb a school, they didn't know that people were in the school, all this that's, stuff. And that, that stuff happens all the time, all the time. too. Yeah, all the time, I mean, these guys live with it for the rest of their lives, yeah. and they're ruined, you know? And so this guy basically gets disfigured, hor- hor- like horrifyingly disfigured, and uh, comes back. And he basically, he just slowly gets abandoned by everything. First, his country won't like the like the the, uh, the what is it? The veterans' aid won't actually cover his medical bills. He gets hooked on painkillers. Uh, he can't afford painkillers. He starts moving to hard shit. Um, he which is a, which is the, the trajectory that most people and most of them go on. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's really fucked up. But and, even just within like the the addiction realm of people. How getting get into heroin. It's from prescription drugs. Exactly, yeah. 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 And so he and so his wife leaves him, his his family's staying he can't work, so he's living with his parents now and they, they can't handle his drug addiction, so he gets kicked out. Everything abandons him and then he the third act he goes on a fucking rampage. And I, I can't decide whether or not he has these sort of surreal hallucinations where he's wreaking havoc or or it's actual real. I'd want to call it like Captain America or something like yeah, that. That's bad. But um, yeah, there's that. Um, the other, the one that I think I'm going to do first. Um, I don't want to say too much about it because the, I know it's going to actually probably happen and soon, hopefully. But it's called Dracula. Fuck you. <laughs> Great title. Yeah, and it's uh, it's going to be sort of like a, a satire of all things Dracula, basically. And I think we'll probably shoot in Detroit and Transylvania. So I've got, yeah, that's the thing. When I was doing the film festival in Transylvania, yeah. made a lot of friends there with like all, oh, the, okay. all the film crews there, and like they are. Romania is bizarrely just they're really popping off the film. Um, that film festival is the biggest film festival in Eastern Europe, which isn't saying much, but it's definitely this. It was this cultural like explosion. It was yeah, very sure. exciting to be there, and um, they have. It's just the cheapest. I mean, it's it makes Detroit look like expensive. Like you can, and the locations are epic. Oh, I bet so, Eastern and Europe, you know, just like Transylvanian mountains, totally. Carpathian mountains, yep. like that shit's real, and, it, and it's still there, and no one's going there. And there's not much tourism. It's it's still completely untouched. Like the, like you like you drive through a Transylvanian town in 30 seconds. They're so small, and they're all like dirt roads with gypsies and horse carts and shit. I mean, it's medieval. It's truly medieval. So it's wild there. So that's kind of the, the first one. But there's, I could go on and on. I'm obsessed with this conspiracy theory, the Monarch Project, which is really terrifying. Project, where are you? Project Monarch? Yeah. Have you yeah. heard of this? Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's an offshoot of the real thing, MKUltra. Yep. Yeah, yep. so which it's like basically like, like sex slave mind yeah. control, where like, the, you know, children are given split personality disorder through early stages of abuse when they're like three. It's, it's an outrageous conspiracy theory. But well, that's what relates. happened to Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah was, apparently he was one of he was them. part of MK Ultra allegedly. Yeah, and that's real. MK yeah. Ultra's real. Like you can see yeah. ABC specials yep. on it that were made in the seventies. Um, in fact, I have an ex whose whose grandfather worked at McGill University when they were doing that shit. Um, but um, yeah, it uh, that's that's something I've been fascinated with, and like how because like the Manchurian Candidate kind of fucked with it too. Yeah, um, was kind of a loose offshoot of it before not of it, but it was before it. But because of what was going on in North Korea during the war but um yeah just this whole sort of like disney pop pop star sort of like back channels of those networks where like mind control is used to sort of uh like trigger people and like trigger these certain like sex slaves and and like people who are like news anchors and politicians because apparently like dissociative disorder you have a photographic memory it's, like one of the weird, it's one of the common sort of like side effects of having 
multiple personality disorder, huh. and so you can remember lines instantly. Oh, so, wow. so there's this whole the conspiracy theory just feeds into this idea that like these people are bred to deliver all of our pop culture. You know, yeah, this is great whole thing. Pretty so. conceptual stuff though. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it'd be really fun to do as a movie. Yeah, and I wanted to somehow involve Tom Jones too. Maybe it takes place <laughs> in the seventies. So uh, I've kind of like wanted to do a Tom Jones biopic, where like he's but it's like fictional. Yeah, where he's like. This coked out, horrifying, like backstage is this like horrifying, like monster, and, and basically he was sent by the CIA to destroy the 60s. <laughs> you, ever, you ever read any of James Elroy's novels? No. Alright, he's a guy who did LA Confidential, oh, okay. Black Dahlia, and he. Black Dahlia murder is a fucking really interesting topic. Yeah. yeah. He, well, actually, you want to know something, a little side note about James Elroy. His mother was murdered. Okay. In a similar fashion. To the to Black Dahlia. Dahlia. Really? Yeah. And Same with L.A.? L.A. He lived yeah, in, he lived in El, Monte, El Monte, California. Okay. Same which, time period? Um, I'm trying to think. Probably, I mean, yeah, circa, you know, about the same time period. Yeah. So James Elroy was, um, like, obsessed with the Black Dahlia. Yeah. You know, and that had to, he wrote, like, a trilogy of... Did you talk about art at all? Uh, not really. To it? No. Have you heard of Exquisite Corpse? Yes, I have. Have you read it? I haven't, though. That's the one thing I've read on it. And um, a friend of mine wants to develop this into a movie, so I won't go into it too much, but basically that book has a wild theory that the, that the, um, that the son of the accused person actually confirms, and he's involved in the book, he's interviewed for it, but um, it involves Duchamp and Man Ray and oh, wow. the surgeon. This surgeon who was like a patron of the arts and close friends with them, and they would often stay with him when oh. they visited LA. And apparently, he wasn't a visual artist; he was a surgeon. But apparently, the the theory is that his contribution to the art world was this murder, because huh. the way she was murdered is so bizarre. Yeah, the way the way she, the, she was incised was surgical yep. precision. Exactly, bizarre. Um, and and then and then the whole, there's this whole thing about how you know um, you know Philadelphia Art Museum the um, the Duchamp in the basement. A toy do dawn or something like that. It's it's the last thing he did, and he spent like twenty years on it. Wow, and it's a years. it's a diorama. It's wow. You look through a crack in a doorway. Okay. It's like rickety old wooden doorway, and you see this like this woman's corpse, and she's laid out in a certain way. And there's like a diorama, so it looks like you're looking at an expansive mountain scene behind her, and it's lit in this particular way. But the book shows the way the body was found, right? And then the and then the way Duchamp put her body together in the in the diorama. Oh, and, wow! And it's man. like he's it's like this like exquisite oh. corpse, which is the name of the book. It's yeah. like this conversation between artists oh, and this man. murderer. It's okay. it was a friend of theirs. It's really fucked up. I gotta check that out. It's a wild I, I got a whole stack of books. I'm trying to wade through these days. Yeah, you know, people keep. There's a lot of pictures so. in this one. So it's, oh, okay. It's, it's well, like so I, can be I can handle that. Then. You can handle that. Not not very dense metal metal fans. Out yeah. there, this book is, is metal friendly, so not very dense text, so that's <laughs> yeah. good. Good for guys, like dense, dense readers, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. yeah, Elroy did like a trilogy of, uh, I mean, he's the guy is like one of these like dudes who cranks, you know, like a prolific writer, so yeah. but he did, um, was it The Big Nowhere, Black Dahlia Murder, or Black Dahlia, just Black Dahlia, and uh, LA Confidential, and that was like his LA trilogy, yeah. I love and, the movie, but yeah, I yeah, yeah, it was, it was cool. But um, but yeah, he oftentimes takes historical figures and completely fabricates a story. Like nice. he uses the Kennedys a lot. Okay, that's, you know, that's and worse. he yeah. fabricates these fictional things yeah. about them. And 
you know, and, and that's that's why I, I'm always fascinated by taking historical figures and actually and twisting, just it. twisting it yeah, into something I, else. I love to, yeah, yeah, that's why Inglorious Bastards is so good. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly that, you know, and they, they just sort of don't care. I mean, of course, the Weinsteins, not to mention, well, yeah, well, yeah. Would, would, would fund a, a, a sort of Jewish revenge fantasy, you know, that, that where all the Nazis get killed. I thought it was great. Just rewatched that recently. Just I always watch that opening scene with Christoph Waltz. It's just like it's intense cinematic history he's his he's just so good but yeah that was kind of the beginning i felt of, of my disinterest in quentin tarantino's films though it's like i i you know i, I enjoyed that movie you know yeah. but i i feel like he's been on this like slow decline ever oh, since. oh really then. yeah i mean hateful eight was boring in a way like my friend says it best that like it should have been a play but but django i liked really i, I, I remember like like losing it in the theater because I mean huh. that's that's he's so he's so much he's so into this like he's 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 doing it for the audience and like how the audience reacts to things you know yeah, and yeah so totally. for, I had a blast with Django I had a blast with Inglorious Bastards and I think that that opening scene is one of like the most iconic like just monologues I've ever seen but um but yeah fictional twists like I also wanted to do I'm just spilling all my beans. Um, I mean, yeah. the, when I did the ghost video, yeah. the, the most recent one about the sort of like he's almost like a Jim Jones character. Yep. He's actually based on this guy Tony Alamo. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this guy. This is a guy I'd love to make a biopic about. Um, he so I was you know I was just like looking up. I was just like loading up my mind with um, with like seventies um, televangelists and just looking up all these creeps from that era. And the one that like gripped me was this guy Tony Alamo, and this guy he was a, he was a, he was in the music scene in L.A. Um, and he's kind of like a poor man's Johnny Cash. Okay. He's actually got a decent voice. Yeah. He looks like a, like like a spinning image of Johnny Cash. He sounds like him too. He's hmm. clearly they like, kind of riffing on him. And then he got and then he got religious. Oh, wow. and like he, Johnny Cash. Johnny yes. Cash had like a bunch it, of gospel records and stuff. Too, right. You know? Yeah. But this guy really went there, and he started a cult. Um, oh Jesus! Yeah. Okay. So to, yeah. to, to the, the Alamo Ministries, uh, I think is what it's called. Um, and they still have a website up. I mean, they're still running. Um, my friend Brendan just ran into Axel Alamo. myself. He just ran into the Is that the Brendan that I know? Yeah. Who introduced me to uh, the actress from our... Yes. Okay, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah he um, he actually ran into... That, after we did the video, he ran into someone who was in um, Port Authority trying to hand out Alamo Ministries pamphlets. So they're still active, which is crazy because you'll hear why. Um, so... He starts, he founds this ministry, and he starts doing this, him, what was his wife's name? The two of them had this, had this television show where they would sing and then do, read from scripture, and they had, and they and you could watch over time, because you can watch all these videos on YouTube, it just grew and grew and grew. And it actually had a big appeal with hippies, because it was kind of like this, like, far out commune they were setting up. And... What 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 ended up happening was this commune turned out to be like a, like most cults a nightmare and like people people claim people who defected from it claim that it was like living in a concentration camp. Oh wow! Eventually, Tony Alamo gets publicly, and this was in the nineties. He he is uh, accused of sex trafficking minors, and it turns out he um, he gets. What is it? Yeah, he got put in jail. He got sentenced to 175 years, and he had to pay upwards of like 425 million dollars to set to settle for the victims. And um, basically, the ministries kept going, but he got put in jail. And 
Yeah, yeah, he's a wild, wild character. You look at uh, pictures of him, and he's just the most insane-looking dude you've ever seen. I mean, he looked like, uh, I mean, I can't, you know, this is an audio thing, so I can't show you, but look up pictures of Tony Alamo from, like, the 80s, because he also had a celebrity jean jacket company. <laughs> Every celebrity during the time, like, bought his jackets and wore his jackets. Yeah. An Alamo? A Tony jacket. Alamo original, right? Tony Alamo. And the real sketchy thing is that when uh, Trump had just become president, and he wasn't doing press, you know, he wasn't doing press conferences. All of a sudden, he appeared, and, like, they caught, they cornered him in the White House, and he gave his first sort of in, like, informal press conference, and he was with Don King. Do you remember that? I do. He appeared, Don King's wearing a fucking Tony Alamo jacket, <laughs> okay, in that moment. Uh, so that's just, like, a great, I mean, you know, Paris Hilton wears them, like, after his allegations, he's still, people still rocked his jackets. It's terrifying. Wow. He's put in jail. Huh. Uh, and the craziest thing, so I was getting, Brendan and I were just, just like consuming this stuff. And the day we started shooting, he died in jail. Oh, man. <laughs> we were playing his music all day huh. in the church just to get everyone going. Yeah. And uh, we didn't know this until three days later. We're driving back from Detroit, and Brendan's on, on his phone, and he's like, like, oh my God, fucking Tony Alamo died the day we started shooting. <laughs> yeah, that was nuts. To like just a weird, but I would love to do a biopic on him. Damn, he's a fascinating, I never heard terrifying of him. fucker. Yeah, and like, I, and I consider myself to be someone who knows a lot about like you know cults, like cults, and he's what a is weird it? One. What is it with cults? And it always goes fucking wrong, man. Yeah, power corrupts. Yeah, you know, Jim Jones, David Koresh. Power corrupts. You know, it's like uh, first of all, you got to think about the type of person who would some sort of megalo- would want to do that. You know. Yeah. I mean. You know, when you think about, sure, who wouldn't want to be, like, king of their domain and, like, have a lot of people into them? We're all trying to, like, make music and, like, make art and, like, get success. But the the type of personality that gives into that kind of narcissism is is already, like, suspect, you know? Do you think that even if, like, you grab, say, 40 people, right, and you're like, okay, cool. (laughs) You're, like, trying to figure this out, right? (laughs) You're leaving New York, you're like, okay. Like, By the way, if splash. I would, I mean, my Detroit's friend, a, great spot a friend it, of mine man. wants you get to get a big <laughs> building for nothing. No, but do you think if you just took, say, a group of people, like, all right, we're all like-minded, we want to go out and make a community somewhere, yeah, and we all want to be equal, yeah, we all want to contribute. It all starts like that. But do you, do you just think the nature of that, they'll, they'll, someone will gravitate towards that role of cult leader? Yeah, you think so? Um, well, I think um, actually, no, um, so I'm, yeah, so. Jackie has was showing me this book Tribe. Have okay. You read this book. I, it's by a, uh, a former um, a former Iraq War journalist. Oh. Wrote this amazing book on like human nature and basically it's basically about um, sort of tribal life versus modern metropolitan life. You know, so I might have heard about this book because that's something I'm very interested in. It's yeah. like the sort of paleo, like you know, yeah. that kind of vibe. And like what, you know, before we were sedentary. And, yeah, when we were hunters and gatherers and, and all stuff. that shit. Yeah, um, and the, and just the mentality, the quality of life, and the mental health of people in those scenarios versus. Um, Kind of like the North Korea thing. Like these people were in abject poverty, but they were all working together in small communities to survive, and they were happy. They were they were mentally healthy because they they were part of a community. They had a purpose. They saw people every day. Yeah, I have something to add to that. Actually, please do. Yeah, the paleo communities, like these sort of <laughs> primal communities, yeah. apparently they were well better nourished than the post-industrial civilization. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, yeah, they were eating stuff like. You know, like like grubs and whatever, but also they had like a more uh, diverse diet 
and they also had less stress than we do. Yeah. So as a result of all that, they just you were. Just pick your food. I mean, you'd hunt a yeah. lot, but you'd also just yeah. But apparently, they didn't even Funny. really. They had way more free time too. Yeah. Like, you know, you think it was at the Malthus, his idea of, like, primal man is, like, you know, they live these short, violent Toil lives. And and, yeah. But that's not really the way it is. Yeah. They, they actually had these sort of lives where they spent more time, like, telling stories of, by the fire, telling stories, mushrooms. Yep, yes. eating <laughs> mushrooms, visiting neighbors. Yeah. And, you know, they... Warring. <laughs> yeah, warring, you know, having settling disputes, you know. <laughs> yeah. But the, oh, yeah, but the reason I brought that up, though, was um, because it, there's a whole chapter about... How, how they would self-regulate and when some one person would start to try to um, sort of take control of things and sort of become an authority they were they were banished you know they, yeah. or, if, or if they got caught like creating a surplus of food for themselves uh, they yeah. were sharing they were they were banished okay and like so it's this whole thing where like certain you know for for thousands of years mankind was like handling their shit yeah. <laughs> like for you know I, I mean I'm sure there's all kinds of instances where they weren't but like generally speaking that was what was done traditionally. Um, that maybe like the only authority there was really were elders, and that makes sense. Yeah, and the, the whole natural cycle of life that makes sense too because it's like you know when you're younger and you're more capable of doing go out and work, going yeah. out and work, and then you take that lifetime of experience, then you're advising. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's like logic to that. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah, you do, you didn't have like twenty year old like twenty year olds sons of like business tycoon suddenly being made vice president. You know? Yeah, like it wasn't like that. Every yeah. time I have this conversation, I, I'm convinced that we're living in the, the, Hell. the, the <laughs> era of the demiurge, you yeah. know, where it's like this sort of like Gnostic, like reversal. Dark you know? ages. Yeah, it's like, you know, the Industrial Revolution in a lot of ways has completely enslaved humanity, you know. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Well, not... you see that, uh, the My Dinner with Andre clip that's been going around. Um, yeah, it's like a two-minute clip from that movie. The movie's just a, di- a dinner conversation yeah. between two guys. And um, the, one of the things they talk about is, uh, the yeah, like, I forget which, which guy it is, um, basically talks about how, like, New York, he thinks New York is this, this sort of experiment where, where the slaves are their own prison guards. <laughs> where, you know, like, like everyone, like those who talk about leaving are ostracized and turn, you know, it's, it's just this kind of thing where, like, how, like we've we've convinced ourselves to live in the most abject conditions and the most like the lowest quality of life, you know, just crammed in these little holes of apartments, just like toiling away day and night. And we've convinced ourselves that we're we're living high on the hog, and we have figured it out, and we are the most evolved, modern, and we're miserable. <laughs> oh yeah, big time, yeah. miserable, suicide, you know, uh, drug addiction, like you know, whatever, yeah. like uh, antidepressants. Yeah. Just overall bad health, you know. Yeah. Just, yeah. yeah, it's it's sitting uh, at a desk, you know. It's oh yeah, it's like the worst thing. Yeah, sitting down. Yeah, that's why I don't do it anymore. I, I envy you, man. I'm just, I gotta get I gotta get some interns. <laughs> gotta get some new wallet, you know. Go to Detroit, <laughs> Detroit. Yeah, you can actually afford to pay people in Detroit because their day rates aren't so crazy. Oh, some of you have worked with me in the past. If you're hearing this, I will pay you back. <laughs> <laughs> I promise, I will pay you back. So how did the cannibal corpse Don't stuff come, come around? Tr- <laughs> can you talk about the morbid thing too? Um, you can I say think, you did it, right? Well, well, I haven't done it yet. But right, I mean, we have we have the theme and stuff. Okay. I don't know if you were gonna, this. We're going to not be done with that till March sometime. So I don't know. But it's badass that you're doing a morbid angel video. Yes. Straight up. <laughs> yeah. That's fun. But um, I gotta send you that. <laughs> <laughs> Do not. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. This year's been interesting with like the two Camel Corpse and Morbid Angel are like the basically 
the origin of death metal. So yeah. it's, it's like a it's a nice thing to be able to say I did. Like and Cannibal Corpse was such a blast and I'm looking forward to doing the more with Angel one as well. But it'll be different. It's gonna be animated probably. Um very much because you know I'm losing the studio and like budgets budgets allowing like we're going to keep it fairly simple. Uh, whereas Cannibal Corpse was a was a journey. I mean, we went to Detroit and had this like real amazing sort of. And the video soul. <laughs> is definitely like what you would expect a Cannibal Corpse video to look look like, and yes. that's cool because like they have a lot of performance videos and things like that. But this is like. When you, if you like Cannibal Corpse, obviously you're into gore and fucking horror movies, <laughs> and you want extreme shit. Yeah, you know cannibalism. And you have it all in the video. Yes. You know? So, <laughs> which, is, which was new for me too. I mean, I, I hadn't really consumed that many slasher films, and then when I did this, I just I think I saw everything. Yeah. 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 Um, what source material did you go to for this? <laughs> um, surprisingly, um, a lot of Giallo. Even though I didn't, even though I didn't recreate it yeah. stylistically okay. in the video. Because um, I wanted to keep it more true to their aesthetic, just yeah. a little grittier and dirty and more slasher oriented. I definitely, the way that certain stabbings are filmed or framed. Ah, okay. And, and yeah, but also I, I think I think honestly the most, yeah, that's not even really the truth. The, the thing that I was most inspired by, even though it doesn't necessarily read when you watch it, is um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's Toby Hooper's first yeah. movie. Just the the. The way that um, you know, because like a lot of like a lot of these types of videos will have zombies and other supernatural phenomena, in it, but like Texas Chainsaw has just a, com- a couple of kids in a van who get drive into the wrong town, you know, and then like meet the crazy people in that town and all hell breaks loose, and that is truly terrifying because it could happen, you know. There's a realism to it that, and the way it was shot too, it's, it's there's a realism to all of it, and, and it's dirty and it's real. There's it's not clean. They had a very small budget to work with, like. We definitely had an even smaller one to work with, so we kept it true to form. Right. Um, and basically, just like, I was like, okay, like, the first thing that that came to mind was just like, all right, Cannibal Corpse. Okay, Cannibal Corp, like a corporation ah, yeah. that, 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 that like distributes meat for human meat for cannibals in a dystopian society where like there's no, there's no like order anymore and there's, there's all there is is just like human flesh to survive on, you know, like, so what would happen? What would develop? Well, those those who are remain, trying to remain, you know, have, have some kind of power left, with the whole idea of surplus, would actually have a have a company where they would distribute human meat for all the cannibals, and there would probably be people left over who were still just trying to hide out, who didn't want to join that community, and were trying to survive and not get caught. And so then the idea came forward of like these hunters working, for, like they're kind of like. They're, you know, in the video, they're scary and they're like chasing these people around and they've got these night vision goggles and they look like monsters basically. But the idea from as a former art handler is like these guys are just doing their day job. Like they love their job, but they're just driving around in a truck together all day, smoking cigarettes, listening to metal, and like hunting people, you know? So that was kind of the inspiration there. Just like enough realism and enough like satire for it to just have that like cannibal corpse feel, you know? There's always a little bit of a political twist with some of the stuff that you do. Yeah, <laughs> even if it's subtle. Even if it's even if it's yeah, even if it's for a band that has no interest in it, you know. Exactly. Find yeah. a way. <laughs> nah, that's that's cool because I mean, like Cannibal Corpse. Like, um, what's interesting about them is like they have kind of maintained this like, like they act, there's actually meat and potatoes. Yeah, meat and potatoes. You get what you you know what you're gonna get from them, and like. And it, and it is filling. It is oh, satisfying. Yeah. Satisfying. <laughs> you always and, walk away satisfied. And the. Um, but they have a fan base that's bigger than death metal. Like they're they're one yeah. of these bands who like they play the most extreme music, 
but they actually have fans who don't even listen to death metal that like them. Yeah. You know? And the cool thing... Because it's fun. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and and the video is cool, man. It's, like, very, like... When I I watched it the first time, it reminded me a little bit of, like, something like Jim Van Bever, you know? know, Yeah. 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 Like, kind of like Deadbeat at Dawn with, like, a a weird, you know, cannibalistic, like, twist to it. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it was was great. And, um... Thanks, man. But the Morbid Angel thing, man, because this (laughs) this record is, like... (laughs) Well, the record that everyone has been waiting for. Yeah. Because it's like... Yeah, it's, it's, I've heard some mixed stuff, you know? Yeah. Like, it's definitely... For, to me, it sounded good. It's like, this is, like, straightforward. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, the record they put up prior to this... It did not do so well. Did not. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people were very, very... Yeah. Uh, I haven't even... I want to listen to it. I, ha- I have the MP3s. Just to it. know what the hell it's like. Yeah, I mean, it's... They tried something weird, right? It's not, it's not just a failure. It's like it's they experimented and didn't necessarily go well, but it was definitely like a bizarre. I, I like. I definitely salute departure. them for trying something different. You yeah. know, <laughs> and works well. the, so the experiment didn't really. Who, work. who hears this? <laughs> I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that the reason why this record that came out is because it's a loose kick. Yeah, but the new album though, yeah, is is like. The day it came out, I got it. Yeah, I got it down. I got it from iTunes. Excellent. You know? And it was like you should do the same, everybody. <laughs> Make my budget bigger. And yeah. and it was really like, you know, okay, let's listen to this entire album. So yeah. it's like, it it's the the return of what people expect yeah. Morbid Angel to sound like. Gates of Inhalation and like that. Kind yeah, of you know, stuff. like yeah, well, well, uh, Steve Tuck, not Steve Tucker. Um, yeah, Steve Tucker. Yeah, huh, is a, is on uh, the bass and vocals. Yes. Gateways to Annihilation, which is like one of my favorite Morbid Angel records, yeah. and it's like so. This is a good time for you to do a video for them. Yes. Yeah. So lucky. Yeah. yeah. Do you have the concept down or? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh. It's cool. basically. Um, I mean, I don't know if I if I'm supposed to. Well, this is going to come out later. Or no, what? probably next week. Oh shit. Okay. So I'm talking about. It. Okay. Um, just say yes. You have the yes, concept. Yes, I do. And yes, fuck yourself. We're underway, and uh, <laughs> be, it's uh, it's loosely related to the album cover. And um, just in terms of like a basic concept, but um, of course I will politicize it a little bit, but not really. Yeah. Um, and I think um, also Trey Trey is very obsessive about a lot of different things, and um, <laughs> and uh, one of them happens to be the U.S. military and and their um, equipment. And so I think we'll probably dive into that as well. Uh, not as like a pro-war thing in any yeah, like, sense of the yeah I would never do that you but, drop um, a bomb on anybody or anything like that or yeah I mean shoot someone <laughs> yeah it'll it'll definitely it'll be kind of be like you know the human frailty just like we've gone too far and the whole the usual Zeftine's approach to modern civilization but yeah I meant to ask you about this, and I figured now is as good a time as any. But have you? There's a. Am I single? <laughs> well, ladies. Uh, well, well, gentlemen. <laughs> there's a YouTube channel for this thing called Oak Studios. Have you heard of that? No. Oh, dude, it's um, check it out. The guy, oh, Blumfeld, Blum, Blum, the guy who made District Nine. Blumkamp. 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 Yeah. yeah, Neil Blumkamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man. Oh, they're doing some reptile thing, right? Dude, I saw I saw trailers for that. It's, it's good. It's like there's there's these three short films that are on there. They're twenty minutes long. Yeah. I immediately thought of you when I saw this. Really? Yeah. Because I mean, like, his work is good. Yeah, it's District, uh, District Nine is very good. Firebase is the one that really got me. Okay. It's like I'll check them out. Check I've them been out. I were, they've been on my list too. Yeah. 
Yeah, because he just kind of went rogue and like he was he was this is an independent project. Oh yeah, all this stuff. I don't know where he got the money for it because it's like they're like shooting in like you know Indochina and like you know yeah. Southeast Asia and all this stuff. And, and well, you know, he's got he's been successful. He's proven his. Yeah, but there's a difference between like using your own money and yeah. like having funding. So maybe he does have funding from. Yeah. Well, where is it streaming? It's on his the uh, Oak Studios. Okay, Oak, so he's Oak just streaming from he's his just streaming from that's, his own thing. That's fucking smart. That's badass. Yeah, it's badass. Yeah, you build your own. That's a great idea. Yeah, and and it's incredibly difficult to make money on YouTube with YouTube, but yeah. maybe that's a revenue stream for him too, since he has these major, you know, commercial successful. He has movies. fans. Yeah, he's people got fans. will follow, and if it's good, it's good. But I think. Um, yeah, I, I was hoping because you know there was talk of him doing another Alien movie. Um, and then when I worked with with them, with Fox and everything, like I remember just sort of hearing through the grapevine that um, you know Ridley's doing more, and I don't I don't know if they're going to actually develop the Blomkamp thing at all, which is a shame because I think the fans would really I that's, would what, that's that. what the fans wanted, and I, I think obviously he would do a great job. So I was hoping for that to happen. I don't know. And Sergey Weaver was pushing it too. She was like with working with. She was in Chappie. She yeah. was in mm-hmm. that, and that's why right. they started talking about Alien, to, about doing another Alien. So she got behind it and was pushing it, and they, that's how, and then all those things on Twitter leaked, all those concept the concept art and stuff. And so that was going to happen, and I don't, I'm not sure if it is anymore, which is a fucking shame. But yeah, I thought of you immediately, because he's like, similar to you, he has a very specific, like, flavor. Dystopian sort yeah. of, yeah. Like a very specific vision, and it's, yeah. I'm like, man, this is like some Zev, you know, like, I hope I hope I can make things of that scale. Yeah, I mean, fucking District Nine is so brilliant in terms of how it weaves, you know, just this the metaphor for um, the apartheid. You know, yeah, just like just these having these other this otherness of these aliens in, in South Africa. Because Blomkamp's South African, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. brilliant concept and just really and executed very well. Yeah, loved it. Um, yeah, the Dutch, the Dutch, because Blom Blomkamp sounds like a Dutch name. Mm-hmm. And the Dutch are the one. They they sell South Africa. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Afrikaners. Afrikaners. Yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, what the fuck was I? I was gonna ask you. My brain. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> to cut this out too. I'm like, <laughs> thanks for being with us this evening, everybody. Mike has run out of batteries. <laughs> We're gonna recharge for a second. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know. But did you did you see the void? No, I haven't seen the void. That sounds. I put like, it on my list after you told me about it. It's like a, it lo- it's like legit Lovecraftian, right? Well. Let's put it this way: It borrows heavily from the eighties, yes. You know, and Many films, nowadays, films that are maybe not they're inadvertently Lovecraft influenced, like say The Thing, yeah. You know, and Hellraiser, right, right, yeah. are figure heavily into which the was void. the initial treatment I did for Morgan Angel that they turned down, but it was going to be very Hellraiser ish. Really, yeah, yeah. I um, I'm if you did something Lovecraftian. You know, especially after watching, um, you know, I mean, the, before I even met you, I, I watched the portal video for Curtain. Yeah. You know, and the first thing that jumped out at me was how it felt like a Lovecraft sort of story. Well, it, yeah, well, it's, it's based on The Conqueror Worm, which right. is Edgar Allan Poe. And that, if you read that poem, because, you know, Lovecraft was obviously uh, an Edgar Allan Poe fan. Yeah. You, that, that poem is kind of, uh, in my opinion, is probably the genesis of Lovecraft's whole deal. I mean, yeah. that, that poem... If you read the Wikipedia, I quote this all the time, but if you read the Wikipedia um, description or analysis of Conqueror Worm Poem, it, it basically describes cosmic pessimism, which is this philosophy based on this sort of Lovecraftian notion that, like, 
that you know the, we're you know the, the universe is ran by forces that we can't possibly comprehend that humans are this trivial speck in this vast ocean of of, of you know possibilities and, the, and you know, there's no god to save that whole thing is just like sort of stems from this conqueror worm concept of, of this humans humans being sort of like hapless slaves in this in this theater of like celestial powers and I'm not really doing a good job of paraphrasing any of this but yeah it's the it's the it's the center of Lovecraftian ideology is that poem so some sort of cosmic pessimistic you know vibe that you have you have some ideas for films regarding that too right yeah yes yeah definitely um, because you know there's there's been so many loosely influenced things by um, like you mentioned Hellraiser and all those those classics but um, I think um, one of the things that doesn't get dealt with too often is, is this sort of vintage like the like the, the the occult archaeologist aspect of it that I think is such a strong aspect of uh, of the of the sort stories, and um, I think I think I wanted to sort of blend that with like there's two directions to go. There's one very serious, sort of solemn, sort of dark, foggy, sort of like like blackened ocean kind of like vibe that I'd like to explore with a lot of miniatures and stuff, and these sort of like sort of like obtuse angled sort of structures that this person comes upon in the mist or something and then there's the whole then there's a satir- satirical side of me that like wants to get Lovecraftian with like almost like a like an exotic resort as this jumping off point you know so I gotta just sort of narrow it down but I have a couple ideas that, that are based loosely on Lovecraftian concepts for sure and I think just as a general I think I feel like that worldview is something a lot of people in middle kind of share it's, it's, it's nihilistic with some with some sort of fantastical occultism weaved into it, where you know we all none of us sort of identify with the kind of um, authoritative aspects of modern civilization, so we we're attracted to these notions of like hu- human existence is very trivial, and we're a speck in the his- in the in the scheme of like the universe's evolution. We just want to see it all get wiped off the face of the earth because we feel like as humans we've failed. So I think that that's why Lovecraft speaks to so many people in, in our in our uh, scene it seems like it's getting a nod in, even in the mainstream though too i mean with like a lot of uh well it's, i mean well the 80s really I yeah mean, so much yeah. lovecraftian stuff I but mean, you, it's hard to, it's what's difficult is to actually adapt a lovecraft story yeah because there's not you know when you read lovecraft it's like there's not much action that goes on in any of the stories yeah it's a description and labyrinthian sort of it's yeah. atmosphere you know yeah. what i mean so atmosphere, it's not yeah. like there's like this um you know there isn't like you know, a big chase or something, or yeah. you know, it's. But it will be quite easy to adapt into that in that direction because I mean, if what do we have? We have, you know, we've got like we've got like an archaeologist that goes missing, and then we've got this like this portal to another dimension where like this labyrinthian sort of hell of like non-human entities. There's a lot to work with there, yeah. just visually. Right. So then you can just you know you just like stick with one particular person's tra- journey through all of that shit. Like they were in contact, they were in like, uh, depending on whether it takes place now or in in the love the era he wrote for, like either like co- like written correspondence right. or emails. Oh, yeah, yeah, actually, this yeah, archaeologist right. goes missing. Huh. Um, and another thing that I just was alerted to, so I'm not gonna get too, in too much detail because I think we're actually gonna do this. But um, the the treatment I wrote, the second one for Morbid Angel, that 
has since changed a lot, and we're kind of like the core of what I was trying to express with it kind of changed with, with Trey's vision, so it's going to be something very different. But the initial concept had a lot to do with the Middle East. Uh, because he's really into Sumerian. Yeah, a lot, yeah, of, a lot of a lot of metal people. Are I mean, specifically Trey Azikthoth. You yes, know, is he's like, obsessed yeah, with Sumerian definitely. stuff. And so, and so, I was thinking, okay, well, like the the Sumerian kingdom of Ur fell in 2004 BC, and it's the Iraq Desert. Yeah. So, what happened in 2004 AD? The Iraq War. So, for me, it was like let, let me sort of depict this jump. Like humans are still toiling and being foolish, like four thousand years later, and what's and at the core of that is this sort of idea of this sort of like sleeping beast in petrol under the under the earth, <laughs> and and so like that was kind of the initial and and I I shouldn't even be giving away because we're we're not even doing that for the video. It's going to be something very different now, but um, I think there's a feature there. For sure. That's sick, man. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So it's kind of Cthulhu, like Petro, Petro Cthulhu. Military Industrial Complex Cthulhu, yeah. And there is and there is a book that, that is definitely... That yeah, so after I wrote that treatment, a friend of mine was like, have you heard of this book, Cyclonopedia? And I was like, no, what the hell is that? And he sent it, sent me the description of, of the... Like the Amazon description of the book, and it's like... It's, it's basically what I had written the treatment I had written, but there's, like, a whole study behind it. Like, this notion that, like, the Middle East, like, the desert is alive, like a living entity. Um, it's this whole fucking thing. Anyway, I've given away What's that called much. again? Cyclonopedia. Cyclonopedia. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah fascinating I gotta look stuff. into that. That sounds great. Yeah. It'll add another book to my fucking ever-expanding list of books <laughs> yes. to read. Yes. Books to tweet that I'm reading when I'm not reading them. <laughs> <laughs> I looked into it for a second. Yeah, man. So... There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of room for Lovecraft in the future, for sure. And I think um, I'm hoping that you know both him and Giger become more and more of cultural uh, phenomena as as time passes. Because well, there's a in, lot to mine from that. In in the most do you, do you have you watched Stranger Things that uh, the Netflix show? No, actually, I Definitely. tried it. Uh, uh, no, for not any particular reason. I'm just very behind on shows. There's a big Lovecraftian thing going on with that too. Yeah. I mean, there's like yeah, that's what I heard. Uh, yeah, like uh, the you know this other reality, and there's like these these creatures that uh, kind of like um, True Detective, right? That has a similar vibe. There's yeah. like this other world. I haven't seen that. The yet. philosophy from True Detective is um, it's I can't remember the guy's name. Man, there's another writer. I think his last name is Ligotti. L I G. Oh, Ligotti. Yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. His um, have you read his stuff? Yeah. Dark. Like, yeah. Um, He's like the modern Lovecraft, but that's like more. I think his I work really know kind of in, name. Yeah. informs this. Like yeah. uh, what's his name? Uh, Matthew McConaughey's character's philosophy about you know consciousness and all that sort of time being like this kind of re- recurring yeah. multiverse type thing. Yeah, I believe that's more his like that whole thing is kind of like his trip. You know, yeah. What I, mean? Yeah. I mean that's just my opinion. I yeah. don't know if anyone else agrees with me on that. Yeah, I've read a little bit. But, yeah, um, yeah it, it was uh, uh, this this guy who writes scripts in Toronto. Um, after he saw the portal video and he just started emailing me. He's he's related to Ligotti. He's like a friend. 
and he turned me on to him. Yeah, I can't forget. I, I don't know why I'm having trouble remembering things right now, but it's like I can't remember Legati's first name. But it's been yeah. a long week. <laughs> kind of. I just, yeah, I just, like I said, just getting back on my feet again for being on the road. Yeah. You know, your brain, my brain feels soft right now. Well, welcome back, man. Thank you. <laughs> like, I wish I could say it's good to be back, but it's not. You know, <laughs> yeah. The winter's coming. and Winter. And it's time to, to get the fuck out of here. Move somewhere even colder. <laughs> yeah, man. It gets cold up in Michigan. Yeah, I'll probably won't be there in the winter. <laughs> if I can help it. I mean, I'll, you know, I mean, that's the thing. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to probably see everyone in New York as much as I already do. Yeah. Because it's such a hermit as it is. But yeah. Well, thank you for your time. Thanks for your time. It's yeah, always man. a blast, man. Totally, dude. Good and, to see uh, you again. Great seeing you. And, you know, we should make this a little bit more of a regular thing, man, while you're here. Of course. You know, yeah. you know, I know you're, cr- you're crazy busy all the time so making videos for Morbid <laughs> Angel and stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but, yeah, dude. That, that will be a, a, a task. But, um, yeah, always, always a pleasure. And uh, don't forget to get your bag of Savage Cold Coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that's what we were drinking just now. And you made, you have your own special... Uh, take on the paleo bulletproof coffee so what, what what exactly did i drink just now you had uh you had like the traditional i think i don't even know the traditional but uh the bulletproof coffee with the coconut oil oh, okay and a little bit of like french like butter or whatever oh okay great yeah, a little vanilla extract nice little, oh that, that's what i was tasting that clove, was different oh clove and uh nutmeg just wow, for, look at this. just for the season yeah the season <laughs> that's right yes enjoy <laughs> all right dude we get a plug. I got to do a plug every time. Yeah, we have to, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks, man.